Well, good morning, church. Right after the services, um, as soon as I get done saying go be at the church and band plays, uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you are part of this church, or you're one of the voting members, or you're curious, uh, to stick around. We have a little church family meeting. Now, really, it's only going to take about five, ten minutes. It's not going to be that long of a meeting. It's hard to call it a meeting. But we do want to give every opportunity to share with you the church. Uh, we vote on a budget every year, and that vote's coming next week. Do you approve the budget or not? And, well, it's like, hey, how do you guys spend the money that come in the, from our tithes and our offerings? Where, where does that go? How do you spend it? Well, you'll see the budget. It's all explained. Greg uh, Burkholder, who's our church treasurer, will explain and answer any questions you may have. Maybe you got a question about our church or the direction of our church or myself or something. Uh, we'll answer any questions you have at that time, and then we're done. It's a really quick meeting, so I just want to make sure you're aware of that meeting. Uh, I know it's sort of a, a packed day for some of us, you know, with both services, and, and then we've got the church family meeting. There's another meeting taking place right after that, and there's a concert going on tonight, and it's sort of a fun day, and there's a lot going on. Um, so with all that, you know, I'm just going to say, take a deep breath. Maybe I'm talking to myself here, I don't know. Um, and just grab your Bibles right now and open them up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Um, as we said last week, uh, John's writing many years after you, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, oh, by the way, if you have, don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand. We've got some on the back table. We'll bring one to you or you can go grab one either way. We'll make sure you get one in your hand. Because today, um, I'm going to make you work, okay? Um, I typically, I grew up opening up a Bible. Then again, I grew up, we didn't have screens and all that kind of stuff, right? So we had to open up our Bibles to read. Um, and so as generations have moved on and now we've got like, oh, I'll just throw it up on the screen and you don't even have to open your Bible. Don't, if you know me and you know this church, bring your Bible, open your Bible, read your Bible, because the more you're familiar with how to navigate through scripture, it helps you when you leave this place. So, um, today you're not going to get all the scripture on the screen. So either you have to be a really good listener or grab your Bible and follow along. So John chapter 12, um, before we dig into this, I got one more thing. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to ask you, ask you this question now. I'm going to ask it at the end. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is, I um, don't even know why I'm here this morning. Um, I really don't do the church thing. Uh, you're lucky to see me, okay? Because uh, I'm really not into that Jesus stuff. Okay, that's a 1. 10 is, I am sold out for Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'll do anything. I'll follow him anywhere, okay? Where do you fall at in that scale, 1 to 10? I just want you to think about that number. And I'm going to ask you again at the end of the service, and let's see if that number changes at all. Okay, everybody got a number in mind? Okay, good. All right. Now, with that being said, John chapter 12, uh, we are in the final week of Jesus. Uh, we learned that last week when John sort of gave us a little time marker, said six days before the Passover. We know at the Passover, well, it's all going to go down, right? John spends almost half, if not more than half of his book, talking about the final week of Jesus. You got John chapters 1 through 11 talking about things that lead up to John chapter 12. Boom, here we are in the final week. Then we're going to go to John chapter 21 with the epilogue. Uh, there's, there's a lot of scripture there that's going to focus on this. This is so important. And so um, we left off last week there at the house of Simon with Lazarus, the town that Lazarus lived in, Mary, Martha, a lot of other people. They're all in the house. They're having dinner together. It's a great social time. It's, they're excited, right? Wonderful time. Now let's pick this up in verse Nine, verse 9 of John chapter 12. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, 
they flocked to see him and also see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people deserted them and believed in Jesus. So Jesus is having dinner here with Lazarus. He's having a good time. Mary, Martha, the disciple, the house is full. People are gathering outside. They're flocking in from all over to come see Jesus, right? But not just Jesus now. They want to see this Lazarus, right? I mean, Lazarus is this guy that was dead for four days. Hundreds were at the funeral. They were at the cemetery. They saw when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. He comes walking out, grave clothes on, right? And he's like, dude's been dead four days. And now he's alive. This is amazing, right? So he's like this popular character, once dead, now alive. And I was like, come and see the walking, talking Lazarus. You know, I was like, dun, dun, dun. And everybody's like, whoa. They're all excited, right? So everybody's coming in from all over the place. This should be incredible. This should be exciting. This should be, you know, like, wow, 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 right? But not everyone's happy. The religious leaders are upset. They're like, this is making me mad. Making you mad. Now, the religious leaders had different groups. Pharisees, Sadducees, different, different other groups. One of the groups, they were called Sadducees. The Sadducees, this is how I remembered it. This is really pathetic, okay? Um, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's how I remember who Sadducees are and what they did not believe in. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Brian, did you ever do that before? I think you have, yeah. Thank you. So the Sadducees, they were upset because they do not believe in the resurrection. And they're hanging out here, and look who's over here. Somebody who was resurrected. Dead four days. Resurrected, back to life. And like, we don't believe in that. Lazarus is like, I do. Oh, man. You're sort of blowing our theology, right? So they're upset with him because he's like, it's really messing with what they believe, and we're losing people. People don't believe us anymore. Well, they shouldn't because what you believe is wrong. So they're like, well, we got to get rid of this Lazarus. And it isn't like get rid of him, like put him in prison. This is like, let's kill him. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, what an what a outstanding idea for religious people. Murder. Really? Does that not strike anybody as odd? I mean, think about that. You're, you're taking up arms against heaven. You call yourself a religious person, and now you're going to go to war with God. Yeah. Let's kill this, this guy, even though his best friend is Jesus. Okay, well, they didn't like Jesus either. They didn't believe in Jesus, right? But I don't know if they sort of get this at all. They're not really thinking because they're so mad. And that's what happens when you get mad. You don't think. But it's like, let's put him to death. Yeah, that'll, that'll, let's get rid of him. Did they forget that he was dead already? Don't you think Jesus could be, you know, they could like, yeah, we just killed him. Jesus like, no, you didn't. Boom, 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 boom. We can do this all day, right? You know, that's what could happen. Do they not understand what they're dealing with? Jesus, the Son of God, is bringing people back to life, and they're thinking we don't believe in that, right? Amazing, amazing. By the way, understand this when we read this. Understand that those who hate Jesus Christ are going to hate you too. See, if you follow Jesus Christ, if you associate with Christ followers, if you're like sold out as Lazarus and Mary and Martha were, guess what? People are going to hate you too. People like the Sadducees. So don't be surprised when you get made fun of or when you, you know, something like just people are just mean to you because you're a Christian. Expect it. We see this in Scripture, right? Okay. But this first group of people, I'm going to break these, this is go through Scripture. I'm going to break this into groups of people. Here's the first group of people we met, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. 
They were blind to what was right in front of them. This is truth. Here's Jesus. Here's Lazarus. Here's a testimony. Here's proof. But you know what? They're like, they're blind to it. We don't see it. All right. Let's move on in Scripture. Verse 12. Next day news came that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. It swept through the city. Large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. They went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy and said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding in on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time this was fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and they realized these things had been written about him. Now, this is a scripture I would have read, typically do read, on Palm Sunday. Right? The week before Easter, this is like, let's turn to John 12 and there were another, actually it's uh, told in other uh, gospels as well. Let's turn there and see what Palm Sunday is all about, right? This is it right here. This is like the biggest holiday celebrated by Jews of the Passover. So hundreds, thousands are coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. There's not a lot of roads. There's only a couple of roads coming in. So this road's crowded with people. And as he is coming in, I remember what John the Baptist called Jesus. He said, behold, look, the Lamb of God, right? Understand this, that Passover, every family, every male Jew was to bring in a lamb to be sacrificed. And again, with hundreds and thousands of people coming in, and by Jewish law, typically the family was supposed to have a, the lamb with them for three days prior to that sacrifice. They'd be driving in all these lambs with them as they come into the city. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, is coming in with lambs all around. Josephus, he's a historian, says this. One year a census was taken of the number of lambs that were slain at Passover. That figure, listen... 256,500 lambs were slain that one year Passover. 256,500. That's a lot of lambs. And they were all probably coming in at various times at the same time Jesus came in. So it very well could have been crowded, crowded road, lambs all over, Jesus on a donkey with his disciples walking beside him, and these other lambs. Behold, the Lamb of God comes in. And these people all around grab palm branches. Palm branches was a sign of saying, we're going to show our allegiance, our Jewish uh, nationalism. We believe this is our next king. Hosanna, save us. Why were they shouting that? Because they've been under the political rule of Rome for so long. It's like if somebody could just save us from these politics and this nationality, if somebody could just rescue us, and behold, he's riding in on a donkey. Kings come in on horses, not donkeys. Donkeys was an animal of peace. Jesus says, I'm coming in on peace. I'm not coming in what you, like you guys think. And they're taking their palm branches, singing, Lord, save us, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the king, right? And then you got these sheep all coming in. This would have been an incredible scene. But it isn't Palm Sunday, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But what I want you to see is the people that were there. These people, I'm going to call them self-seeking. Because what did they want? They wanted a king. They wanted to save them from the nationality and the politics of the day. From, free us from Rome. Free us from what's going on. Give us a good king. Come on, you know, so we're going to wave these palm branches. You have to remember, some of these same people were yelling, crucify him just days later. But in the moment, what can you do for me, Jesus? What can you do? Can you free me? Can you make my life easier? Look at verse 17. 
Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about the miraculous sign. Oh, did you hear what he did to Lazarus? He brought him back to the dead. If he can bring him back to life from the dead, what can he do for me? What can he do for me? It's a little self-seeking here, right? Let's go meet this superstar, right? They were so adored by Jesus because they believed raising the Lazarus from the dead, that Jesus could do anything for them, whatever they longed for. Hey, what can he do for me? What can he do for us, right? I mean, why do we worship Jesus? Why do we go to church, right? Eh, I need to get my life right again. Probably should go to church. You know, I could use this more in my life. Probably should get right with God. Now, I, I can testify this big time because of my role with not only as a pastor, but working with FCA. I do a lot of chapel services. I attend chapel services uh, of athletes. And there are, there are game day situations. If they've got a game, they might have a chapel earlier in the day or the day before. You'd be amazing. The bigger the game, the fuller the chapel is. I was sitting in one Bible study one time at a D1 school, and um, these, these big guys were there, and it's like I was in charge. I was like, so you tell me. And I thought, I'm sort of curious. Why are you guys here? And I went around, we answered, and pointed at this big offensive lineman. And he's like, so why are you here? He said, well, we just, we had a game last week, and it was on national televised. You know, they had, it was a big game. They were playing a top 20 SEC team, and they were like going against this team, and like, He's on the sideline, about a minute left in the game. He's an offensive lineman. Defense is out on there. They're winning with just seconds away from winning. But they're like, man, our defense has got to hold. Our defense has got to hold so we can beat this top-ranked team. And, and he goes, I was on the sideline, and I just like, God, if you help our team win, I will go to chapel. Well, they won. So guess why he's at chapel? To fulfill his promise to God that you, got, you did this for me. I'm going to do this for you, right? And, and I'm telling you. More and more, and there's a lot of great athletes out there, men and women, who love Jesus Christ, and they're at chapel. But there is also a group of self-seekers who will show up at chapel because why? Because if I go to chapel, if I go to church, if I go to Bible study, God will make my life easier. Now, if that was true, somebody please explain the Stump family health history. Okay? For those of you who don't know me, we've met our deductible eight years in a row. Okay, I'm just going to say that, and that's probably enough said, right? So I, I look at this, and I sit there and go, oh, you're going to worship God to avoid injury? <laughs> Good one. Okay, that doesn't work out too well for everybody, okay? Now, if that were true, then, then you would have, I mean, churches would be filled every Sunday, right? Chapels would be filled every Sunday. People would be praying on the sidelines. People would be praying at work for raises. It's like... But there's still that thought, if, if I do this for Jesus, what was he going to do for me? These people were, were self-seekers, right? Now, um, let, let's move on to this. Verse 19, check out what he says in verse 19. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, the whole world's gone after them. That's sort of an exaggeration. The whole world wasn't going after them. But that's how they felt. They were getting a desperate mode here. They're like, there's also this excitement for Jesus. People are following him, right? Verse 20. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. Now, 
We're not told anything about the background of these Greeks. We don't know who they are. We don't know whether they're Greek converts to Judaism. They may have been Greek um, God-fears. We don't know. But they did have respect for what was going on here. But they may have been just simple Greek travelers. All we know is these guys are Greek, and they're really curious. There's people out there that are curious. They've ever heard of Jesus. They heard about his teachings. They heard about his miracles. Like, we want to know more. So why go to Philip? Well, Philip's name is actually a Greek name. So maybe they understood that. It's like, oh, this guy's Philip. Ah, that's a Greek name. So maybe we can relate. So they go to Philip. Hey, Philip, um, sir, we would like to know more about this Jesus. What does Philip do? He goes to Andrew. Andrew is the guy that's always taking people to Jesus. So like Philip, like, oh, yeah, let's go talk to Jesus. So they go to talk to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Well, here's what we're going to do. Jesus doesn't even reply to this. Did you see what Jesus says? He goes, now is the time for the Son of Man that has come to enter into his glory. Okay, well, that didn't answer our question. Should we go back? The Greeks want to talk to you. And Jesus is like, hmm, they want to talk to me? The time has come. The time has come for man, the Son of Man, to fulfill his glory. What does that mean? Well, if you look back to the book of John, how many times did we see Jesus say, the time has not yet come? The time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. Not yet. Now, just like, the time has come. Some theologians believe that the Greeks, who are non-Jews, when the non-Jewish people started coming to Jesus, it was like, ah, now it's time for me to enter my glory, which basically means he was going to die. I, we need more people that want this. Oh, they're coming. Now's the time. There's a lot of theologians believe that, and I would, I would lean in agreement with that as well. Verse 24 sort of then explains this because we were sitting there going, what does this mean about glory and all this? Jesus explains in verse 24, he goes, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in a soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new Lives. He's saying, listen, my life is like this kernel of wheat. I have to die and be planted. And once I'm planted, new life will come out. If I don't die, new life doesn't happen. My time has come. And the disciples are probably like, oh, I think I'm getting it, maybe. They, they probably really don't get to afterwards. He goes on to say, verse 25, he goes, because I've got a couple requirements for you here, okay? This is what I'm going to do, okay? I've got to die. I've got to be planted, but here's what you need to do. Verse 25, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor Anyone who serves me. Basically, Jesus says, listen, you got to love me more than the world, and you need to be my servant. You need to follow me. To follow me means that you got to love me more than you love the world. And he's not saying, you got to hate your life. Like, I hate my life. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, the world we live in right now, you cannot be in more love with that than God. If you love this world more than God, you can't follow him. Because this world's culture will always pull you away from him. But if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, you will go the direction he wants you to go. So he says, you've got to follow me, which means you've got to hate this life. You've got to love me more than this world. And you've got to be my servant. And servant isn't like I am forced in chain to serve God. It's like I am choosing to serve. I want to serve. Look at verse 27. 
Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. It's like Jesus is all of a sudden he's realizing the time has come. It's time for me to die. Should I pray, God, save me from this hour? No, no, no. This is why I came. I came to rescue this planet, these people, mankind. This is the very reason I came. In this crucial hour, he's realizing and understanding the power of what's going to happen at the cross. And the cross is going to cast a shadow over uh, the entire life and ministry of Jesus. It's been hanging over him. Now it becomes a reality and experience. For 33 years, he knew what was coming, and now it's here. As Jesus saw the cross just a few days away, his main concern was that, will this glorify God? Will his name be lifted up? It said a voice from heaven, look at verse 28, a voice from, spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I'll do it again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. Others declared an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, that voice was for your benefit, not mine. How cool would that have been to hear the voice of God? Some people didn't recognize. They thought it was like thunder, right? This is the third time it's happened. First it happened when Jesus was baptized. God spoke and said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, right? And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, God spoke again to him, right? And and the disciples heard it. And then now God speaks again. And the third time now is a divine moment. And it gave them confidence. You know what? This This truly is Jesus, the one we're following here. Look at verse 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan... The ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I'm lifted up on earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So he said this to indicate how he's going to die here. Now we have to understand the culture that we live in right now, this world we live in right now, you want to know who who owns it, who rules it? Not God. We like to believe that as Christians, but really Satan is the ruler of this world and the culture that we live in. That's why it's so anti-God. Okay, That's why Christ came to save us from this. Our adversary, our great adversary is Satan. In some sense, you know, we sit here and he was was definitely cast out by Jesus at the cross. Jesus won at the cross. Victory is ours. But until Christ returns back to this earth, this world, the culture of this world is still overseen by Satan. And he tries his best to thwart God's plans. He tries his best to make us not be victorious. But we are victorious. But a lot of times, Satan likes to say, oh, you're more defeated. And he wants us to feel defeated. But remember, we already have victory. Colossians 2, 14 to 15. This is one scripture I'll put up on the screen for you. It says this. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See, when Jesus Christ died, we see this in in, uh, verse 32. It says, I'm going to be lifted up. What did he mean by that? He goes, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. He's predicting how he's going to die. But he wasn't just a physical lifting up. It was an exaltation. It was a spiritual lift up too. You want to know what his title is? He's going to be lifted up as a king spiritually. And it's an amazing thing there. All nations will be drawn to him. It says in verse 30, 32, and when I'm lifted up on the earth, I'll draw everyone to myself. 
not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles. All peoples of all nations, that's us, of whatever background you are, whatever, wherever you are financially, whatever kind of relationship you are in, it doesn't matter. You can see that Christ was lifted up to die for you. Everyone is drawn to him. Let's read on verse 34. The crowd responded. We understood scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man would die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? They're having a hard time with this because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Son of Man, this Messiah, he's not supposed to die. He's supposed to live forever. He's going to be an awesome king. And Jesus is like, man, what are you guys reading? Jesus replied, look at verse 35. My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they're going. Put your trust in the light while there's still time. Then you'll become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus moved away from them and he was hidden from them. He was telling them, like, I, guys, I know what you think, but here's what Old Testament scripture says. And he quotes some things from Isaiah. He says, this is how it's going to be. Guys, it's, it's going it's to get dark out there. I came to bring light. Trust in the light while there's still time. He goes on to say in verse 37, But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. Can you believe that? This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had uh, predicted. Lord, who's believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? And he goes on to, to quote from the book of Isaiah. Here's this fourth group of people. They were curious but they were seeking and they saw what he could do and they heard his great teaching, but they're like, eh, we still don't believe it. Really? How can you not believe? Throughout the gospel, John said he did all these signs so that people would believe in him. And yet all these people who saw his signs, who heard his teaching, they were still like, mm, nah, I don't want to believe. No, thanks. And many people did not believe in him. Oh, but wait, look at verse 42. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear of the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Oh, wait, but then there were some who did believe. But they were secret believers. We're not going to tell anybody about it. We, we believe this Jesus Christ, Right? We've seen the signs, we've heard the teaching, but we're afraid of what other people are going to think about us. I really want to let people know I'm a Christian. I really want to live in a way that honors him, but I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed by it. I, I want to be secret about it because I don't want this person over here to know that I'm a Christian. How many times, and you know, sometimes it's like, Rex, sometimes you wear a lot of your FCA gear or you wear shirts with a cross on it. Sometimes I have to do that because I am weak, right? And I know I might say something or do something that would not honor God. But when I've got that shirt on or that symbol, it's like that person across me knows I'm a Christian or they know I have some kind of faith, right? And I can be so easily be incognito and secretly be a Christian and act one way because nobody would ever know, right? But if I'm wearing a cross, if I'm proclaiming my faith, people see it and they're like, they expect me then to live out my faith. Does that make sense to you all? So these people, they were like, uh, we're just going to be secret. Here's the thing. You can't be secret and be a disciple. There's no way. Because if you truly are a disciple, there's no secret to it. 
We get to verse 44, and these are the last words in John's gospel from Jesus to the public. Think about this. The last words Jesus is going to make publicly before he gets quiet with his disciples and then is arrested and then is crucified. What would he say? Last speech. Hmm. What are you going to say, Jesus? Last speech. What included a reminder of his teaching, a challenge to decide, a warning to those who decided against him, and a promise to those who decided with him. Let's just read it. Verse 44. Jesus shouted to the crowds. He shouted. It wasn't a whisper, was it? If you trust me, you're trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in a dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I've come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message, they will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I've spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me. Jesus emphasizes here his unity with God the Father. To believe in Jesus is to put your faith in God. And that God sent Jesus. Jesus stressed his own truthfulness and the need for man to follow him. Or you can live in darkness. You had a choice. He came to bring light. He came to rescue us from darkness. He didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Think about that. He came to save the world, not judge the world. If he wanted to judge the world, he would have never had to become man. He could have remained in heaven and judged us. He did not need to add that to his deity. But because he wanted to rescue us, his divinity meant he had also become human and became Jesus Christ. There are some inescapable consequences for rejecting Jesus, isn't there? He says we'll be judged. But once again, John shows us how people waver in what they believe. Is Jesus the real deal or not? Are we blind to Jesus? Are we self-seeking? Are we curious? Will we not believe? Or are we secretive about Jesus? Or where, where are we at with this? Where are you at with this? Again, scale. One to ten. What do you believe? One to ten. What do you believe? One, again, I don't really believe in this Jesus stuff. I'm here today because I'm just coming with a friend or I wanted to check this out. I'm not, I don't really believe in all this, but I'm here. Ten, sold out. Follow him. I'll do anything for him. Where are you at? Because here's what I want you to know. The scripture says, by their fruits they will be known. I really believe by what we think, what we believe, always translates out into action. I believe that. If you're feeling negative about something, you will act in a negative way. Body language says everything. Just watch athletes. You know what they're thinking by the way they act. What you believe, what you feel about your faith is always going to be seen. If you were to say, I'm a seven, go home today, have that conversation around the lunch table and just sort of say, what number did you give? What number did you give? Oh, I'm a, I'm a nine. Oh, really? Oh, wait, why did you give me that face? Facial expression. Because sometimes you don't act like a nine, you act like a three. Really? Yeah. 
So I'm a six. No, we don't average this out, my friend, okay? Which one is it? I mean, have that conversation. You really want to know what people think about you? It's going to be seen by how you live. Here's the thing. A lot of people say, I I believe certain things, um, but that's funny because your actions don't show it. See, there's a lot of people say, we're Christians. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. We're all Christians. Hey, we're all Christians, right? Let me ask you, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you a question. You know what the leading cause of death was in 2019 worldwide? Not just in the United States, but worldwide. Leading cause of death. 42.4 million people died because of this. Okay? Over 42 million unborn children were killed last year. 42.4 42.4 million. Let that sink in for a moment. That would break, that should break the heart of every Christian. See, if you're a Christian in here and you just heard that stat, your heart should break. If it didn't break, then I got to ask you, do you really love God? Sounds harsh, Rex, but think about this. 42.4 million. That's more, think about this, worldwide, that's more than cancer, smoking, alcohol, traffic accidents, malaria, HIV and AIDS combined doubled. Take all those deaths, double it, and you get close to 42.4 million. That's 116, 164 lives lost every single day. That's 4,844 lives lost every hour. From the time you walked in to start the worship service to now over close to 5,000 unborn babies died while we were in here. 81 lives lost every minute. That's more than one per second. Listen. We need more now than ever to hold Stanley to li- uh, stand firmly to what life is all about. This is a matter of life of death. The lives of babies. First service, uh, Aaron and Kate Bernath stood up here and we dedicated Charlotte, a little baby. And there's about three or four other babies that were out in the sanctuary during first service. Holding that baby thinking 42.4 million babies were abandoned and killed. And listen, this, I'm not saying that to shame people. We, it was a year ago. See, today is actually... Sanctity of Life Day. Churches all across the United States today, not all of them, some of them, are probably mentioning this. To pray. To pray for the unborn. This isn't the shame people have gone through abortion. I remember a year ago when I mentioned this, there was a couple people that had gone through abortion and they felt horrible. I can't imagine what you went through. And I love how God heals the broken and God takes care of people. And it isn't to make you feel bad. I'm talking about from today forward, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this right now? Not in pointing fingers at people, but in praying for people. In America, 60 million babies have been aborted since the Roe versus Wade decision in 73. 60 million have died since that day. That's the equivalent, listen to this, wiping out the populations of Ohio Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Vermont, and Rhode Island. If you wiped out all those states' population, do you think America would be upset? Like, what just happened? we got to stop this. That's the number of babies that have been aborted in America since 1973. God's word is very clear that he cares for life. Jeremiah even said, while I was in my mother's womb, you saw me. David clearly talks about that in his psalms. God sees us before we're born. Before, when that heartbeat starts, God hears it. When the blood starts flowing through a child in that first week, God sees it. 
is alive, is precious. All life is precious. And as a Christian, we should stand up and say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, am I a Christian or not? Let me say, I'm going to move over here. As a Christian, as a Christian, I believe all life is sacred. And I will stand up for the unborn. And if you don't want to stand up for the unborn and you don't think life is sacred, then I have to ask you, how can you believe what God's word says? This is not a buffet. You can't pick and choose. I like this. Ooh, don't like that. Don't have to read that. Don't have to obey that one either. Oh, I like that. I like a lot of that. It's not a buffet. From beginning to end, it is God's word to be read, to be obeyed, to learn, to praise. And it's not easy at times. That's why we need a Heavenly Father to guide us as we read and as we grow. Either you believe the words of Jesus or you don't. For Jesus has been given all authority in heaven on earth. He is God in the flesh. His words are the words of God. These words that are in the Bible are his words. God speaks to us. As a Christian, are you a one? Are you ten? Where are you at? If you're claiming to follow him, then God's word should be strong in your heart. You should be following it. Not partial belief, full belief. And I understand that's not easy. The religious leaders, they sort of believed. That, well, they, they said they believe in God, right? Yet they wanted to murder Jesus and Lazarus. That doesn't make sense to me. God is love. And when you are lacking God, you lack love. So do you really believe in God? That's the worship team to come forward. You know, instead of trusting God in his act of grace and mercy through Jesus, some, some people think, well, if I do the right things, I have good morals, that saves me, right? Or my grandma, she was a Christian, so therefore I'm a Christian, right? It's not our actions, our good deeds are going to church. It's not, well, I'm going to read the Bible. It's not, I'm going to uh, get in by the coattails of my grandma and grandpa on their faith. Listen, God's making it really simple. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. For by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not of yourselves. Otherwise, our works, we'd boast about that, right? We've been saved by our faith. Have you placed your faith in him? Where are you? Look at those five, those list of people. I hope none of us are on that list. You know, we can get rid of that list and just say, let's just believe, right? We're going to follow. We're going to serve. We're going to do that, right? Your actions will show it. I want to close on this story. When I, uh, when I moved here 30 years ago, and understand this, I grew up in Indiana, 20 minutes outside of South Bend. South Bend, for those are Notre Dame fans, okay, Irish, okay, you're like, I grew up around that. Just like if somebody grew up outside of Columbus, you're indoctrinated with Ohio State living, right? Well, I was indoctrinated being, you know, an Irish fan and all that kind of stuff, and I, really, I got sort of tired of it, went off to college, um, and I was like, oh, maybe I still do like Notre Dame. I don't know, you know. And then I moved here. And when I moved here, I, I went to my first Wauseon football game. And I believe it was at Liberty Center. And I had a jacket on. And it was a Notre Dame jacket. And this gentleman by the name of Mike Reeves approached me. Now, see, some of you know Mike Reeves. Mike Reeves is the biggest Notre Dame fan in world history, I think. I don't know. He, he's told me he's got every football game on VHS, VHS tape, right? Some of you are like, what's that? Okay. Um, every game recorded and he's watching. He can tell you stats and everything, right? And he comes up to me and I've never met him before. And he sees me wearing a Notre Dame jacket. And he's like, hey, go Irish. 
Well, we looked good last week, didn't we? And go, we? Oh, yeah, I forgot. We do we terms, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and he's like, we looked really good. And he's going on and on about the players. And he goes, hey, next week, man, it's going to be tough. And we can wait, who do we play the week after that? And I'm going, uh, I don't know. And he looked at me. This is what he did. He goes, you're not an ordained fan. <laughs> and he walked away. And I'm, I'm standing there going, who was this guy? To this day, whenever we see, I see Mike and I see him often, we just laugh about it. It's like, he's like, dude, you remember when I walked away from you? I said, yes, Mike, I remember. You told me I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I get it, okay? Uh, but he's this solid Irish fan, okay? But here's the thing. If people were to walk up to you and you've got Christian written on your name and they start talking to you about the love of God, and, and, you know, how do you respond to that? I mean, when, when people look at you, do they walk up to you and say, <laughs> you're not a believer in Christ? Or would they stay there and be able to converse with you and say, wow, your faith is genuine. I know where you're at. Scale one to 10, where you at? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you're down here, take a step this way. You don't have to be like, per- nobody's perfect, okay? There's not one 10 in here, okay? But let's, let's aim and strive to live that holy life, to follow him. Amen? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Thank you, Lord, for your words, for your truth, for the scripture. Lord, I thank you that as we go through this, we saw these different kind of people and how they believed and their actions really showed what they believed. Their actions sort of told where their heart was. So God, I just pray right now that we just examine our hearts. We're told in Scripture to examine our hearts to what we really believe. So God, as we stand here, you already know what our heart looks like. You already know how much we believe. Maybe we don't want to admit it, but now's a good time to admit it because you love us. You love us right where we're at right now. You do not require us to become holier and holier and then you'll help us. And then you'll love us. You'll love us right now, right where we're at. No matter what we've done in our past, you forgive us. And you meet us right here and you say, I love you. Now walk with me. Learn from me. And I'll live with you. So God, that's what we pray. Meet us here. Right where we're at. Lord, we love you. We want to sing to you now. In my name we pray.